I like this song a lot because to me it uh, sums up the value of something that is great about Kate. And it's not just that she records uh, wonderful pop songs that are like nothing you've heard in your life and Indeed. has crazy instrumentation and lyrics and literary references and cinematic references. And it's that when she wants to, she can just write something really goofy and sweetly sincere and as fun as anyone else. And you know, the key to this is, I don't know if she's ever said this. I think this song's an Elton John homage. Welcome to Strange Phenomena, the music of Kate Bush. I am Cecily Link, and this week we are going to be talking about track four on Kate Bush's second album, Lionheart, called Don't Push Your Foot on the Heartbreak. to discuss this song this week. Go on ahead and introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Jack Ranovix. I am just a, a random Twitter person who um, is obsessed with Cape. And uh, Cecily made the call on the podcast and on Twitter for crazy Cape fans. And, well, I'm here to talk about, I think, a rather underrated gem. So this is it's going to be interesting having us talk about this song because it's honestly my least favorite on Lionheart. So you are going to have to convince oh, me great. to give this song a second listen and appreciate it. <laughs> Only a second listen. Not really a second. Actually, I don't joking. know how many times I play it. I know. Because <laughs> <laughs> if you've skipped it every time, you're missing out on, a, I think, a real gem. So um, I assume you're the one who has the research as usual. I am yes. going by my gut and I'm saying... Um, I like this song a lot because, to me, it uh, sums up the value of something that is great about Kate. And it's not just that she records uh, wonderful pop songs that are like nothing you've heard in your life and Indeed. has crazy instrumentation and lyrics and literary references and cinematic references. And it's that when she wants to, she can just write something really goofy and sweetly sincere and as fun as anyone else. And, you know, the key to this is... I don't know if she's ever said this. I think this song's an Elton John homage. Hmm. An homage to Elton John and Bernie Taupin. Uh, if you look at the lyrics on paper and try to imagine Elton singing them, they just, or even like Harry Nelson to some extent. I, I feel like this is her writing like a 70s album-oriented rock pop song and doing it very well. Hmm. Well, she is. she did say that uh, Elton John is one of her kind of childhood heroes yeah that makes a lot of sense so. i know she didn't didn't she record a version of rocket man or um yeah she did uh record a cover version of rocket man that definitely like she doesn't just do it straight karaoke version mm -hmm. she makes it her own which is awesome mm -hmm. i love it when artists like take a, a song that's not theirs and they completely do their own thing with it 
And then, of course, she sang with him on, uh, which we'll get to Mm. way later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's known in Wheeler Street, which I actually like and a lot of people don't. But Are you going to be discussing her cover songs on the show, by the way? Um, Yes, I am. Great, great. If they were released as a single, I am going to talk about those, definitely. Is, what's, what is your problem with the song? I'd like to hear your... Okay. So like kind of my personal thoughts, I will say I do think it's a very cleverly written song. I like the poetry of the lyrics. I mean, I generally am drawn to lyrics first and sometimes music later. And I do like like the imagery of like a car crash, but <laughs> she's making it about a heartbreak. And of course, the title, Don't Push Your Foot on the Heartbreak... Heartbreak is yeah. in either like the break of a car you're trying to stop or heartbreak. Yeah. Ah, heartbreak. somebody's you know, <laughs> left me or something. So I think in that respect, it's very cleverly written. But I, I just find it to be shrill. And I know that's a term that gets thrown around a lot with Kate Bush and especially in her early yeah. stuff because she is singing up so high. Like she's a soprano one. Yeah. I can't do the soprano one stuff. <laughs> I'm soprano too. Like I can barely like, maybe on a good day. But <laughs> I I just find it to be really shrill when it gets to the chorus, and I guess she's oh, it's, trying to do stuff, but it's just it doesn't quite gel for me. Well, it's certainly here's the thing. I'm going to say all of that is true, but I think it's a feature, not a bug. Um, oh. <laughs> I like I like the I like that it starts in this it's this crazy high key, um, and then. I can't tell. Does she actually? Does she actually change the keys it goes on, or just the tempo? Oh, she actually changes keys a few times. That's what I thought. Like um, but she I'm not starts as... it. She starts the song in C minor, so it's got three flats. It's got B flat, A flat, and E flat. Then when it goes up to her heart is there, it goes into E flat major, and E flat major is the major equivalent of C minor. So no biggie there. Then it goes to C major for the chorus, but it still has some out of scale chords next to each other, like uh, C to A flat on Come On, You Gotta Use Your Flow, which adds a little bit of tension. Then after the chorus, it goes to D D minor and F major. And it goes back to the C for the chorus. Then the final chorus shifts up to D major. And D major has nothing whatsoever to do with the other keys that the song is in so far. Then it ends in E minor. So it's it, it's just really interesting how she shifts keys in this song. And it honestly goes with the whole metaphor of the song being about a car and driving. And it's like you're shifting gears. You're literally shifting keys. So I do find that really cool about this song. I the, the, the structural nerdy <laughs> musical person in me is like, whoa, this is so cool. She's shifting all these keys. <gasps> I love it. Thank you. 
song and in search of peter pan have such very similar intros they always think they're mm. going to turn into each other that may be another flaw <laughs> maybe another reason you don't like it as much they although like i like came... although i like in search of peter pan and i don't like that one as much as you but i'm excited to hear uh, the episode where you talk about it i get that she's trying to do something a little bit different and i appreciate that but i just i kind of i tend to skip this one like i wish that there were other, some other of her demos that she could have fleshed out and done mm-hmm. for for Lionheart that I would have liked kind of in place of this one. But here's the thing: I not I a bad think... song at all. Okay, I'm glad, okay, that's fine. Because yeah. there are certain there are tracks on this album I do skip. I think Lionheart could have been a great EP, but it was rushed. Um, or it could have been a great, a really great album if she'd waited maybe a year. But I, like, this was how many months after the Kick Inside that it came out? Well, this came out in November of 1978. Uh, the the kick inside came out on February seventeenth, nineteen seventy eight. So it Lionheart came out not even like it was just nine months after her debut album. Yeah, and was this rushed so she would have more songs for the tour? I um... well, she was rushed into supposedly she was rushed into making the album because the record company wanted to capitalize on her sudden popularity because mm-hmm. they went, oh my goodness, she's really, really popular. We need to do something. <laughs> right. And I, I think it would have been smarter to maybe do an EP or several singles and really flesh out some of the, mm-hmm. the filler tracks. And this song is a filler track by most people's estimation, but I think it's a great filler track. And I think that, I've, I don't know, I've never skipped it. Whenever it would come up on a shuffle, I would always like it more and more and more. And it's in many ways one of my favorite songs in the album. And I find... I think because maybe because here's the thing, maybe to me, romance is as shrill and ridiculous sometimes as she sings it. And it it doesn't always make sense. The lyrics are very goofy and not just like Elton John. They also remind me of the kind of absurd metaphors um, and similes that someone like Jim Steinman or Paul mm-hmm. Williams would use. Mm-hmm. And I unabashedly love those songwriters. A lot of people don't, but I, I love them. Um, like, I don't know if you do like meatloaf stuff in the 70s or um Okay. Uh, yeah. People can't. People can't hear you, but you're uh, turning. Yeah. I'm kind of like, eh, you know, I like a yeah. few songs. I, I think "Paradise by the Dashboard Light" is a cool song. Yeah. But that's kind of it for really for me. Girly. All right. <laughs> I love it. I. And that also, and something he would he does a lot is like ridiculous car metaphors for either love or sex or life. Um, mm-hmm. Constantly in the way he writes his songs. Steinman, I mean, uh, Meatloaf is just the vessel. Uh, and yeah. yeah Emma's come down she stopped the light shining out of her eyes Emma's been mm-hmm. run out on She's breaking down in so many places, stuck in low gear because of her fears of the skidding wheels, the skid of the wheels she feels. And I love like the interplay. I yeah. do really like the interplay of her like 
I've got the main vocal, and then I've got my little Kate's behind me doing something else completely different. <laughs> I do really like that and hurt this song. Yeah, and also it's she's committing to a metaphor and sticking with it. It's almost like something that her vocal range is so great that she's able to almost duet with herself when mm-hmm. she does those things with her vocals. And it's something she almost does literally more on later songs where the production gets really crazy, like on The Dreaming mm-hmm. and on Hounds of Love, where she's like manipulating her voice <laughs> into, um, oh, yeah. in different registers. But she's almost like testing that out here. And mm-hmm. and I the other thing is I want to talk about how this is the thing you've talked about in other songs. Um, it's interesting when she decides to sing in the third person about someone else or about herself in the first person. And uh, this is this is a third person song. So I think she sees herself more as a storyteller mm-hmm. than necessarily, as you said before, somebody writing like big personal love songs. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that makes it less personal. I just think she's inter. I just think she likes to tell short stories in song form, and yet still fill them with the same brassy emotions uh, that you might like here in a Broadway musical even. Um, oh yeah. There's nothing subtle about this song. Um, maybe in terms of, maybe in terms of construction, but in terms of performance, nope. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> and even like in the demo version of the song from way back when she was a teenager, because this was one of those songs that she mm. wrote when she was a teenager. I believe it. It, um, it's, even in its demo form, it's a very similar. Also, do you think the name Emma may be an Austin reference or a... You know, I have always wondered who Emma was. I think it might just be a random name that she just really liked. True, but I... It might be, but there's... And then maybe Emily Bronte, but I don't know if she'd read Wuthering Heights yet. Um, yeah, supposedly she hadn't read Wuthering Heights um, when she saw the... When she started writing the song, that she was inspired more by the the film version than the book and then Mm. she went back later to read the book and see like okay did i get it right and found oh yep i got it right (laughs) apparently (laughs) (laughs) um because i think yeah it is it maybe she knew somebody anyway i'm not saying she asked to there needs to be an explanation but i I like the idea that subconsciously or not it puts her in continuity with jane austen um um is there anything like 
is there anything that intrigues you about the lyrics? Because you said that you're not, you don't find the lyrics too exciting on this one. Well, I do like, well, actually, I, I think that the lyrics are really cleverly written. Um, especially the title. I love the mm-hmm. little pun with heartbreak and break, like breaking in the car. I'm glad you got it spelled that way on the album because um, it makes it very clear what kind of song it is. Mm. <laughs> like, I like the, um, I like the, uh, looking at the lyrics here, like continuing with the car metaphor, like her heart is there, but they've greased the road. Her heart is out <laughs> there, but she's no control. And it's interesting that this is another song on Lionheart that has a has imagery of cars because in Full House, when you get to Full House, Mm -hmm. that one is all about driving in a car, like driving back in her car, washing, watching the wipers, squashing the leaves away. And it's all talking about cars. And so this is another song on this album where she's got a lot of car imagery. Well, is here's the thing. I don't know. Uh, if car culture was as much of a thing in England yeah, in the I don't 70s. Think it is. I don't think it is. So I don't think there is the association of cars with romance as a romantic getaway. Um, and um, I even, <laughs> there's a, I saw an interview with Edgar Wright uh, promoting Baby Driver where he said that like, he really, it was impossible to really do a car chase movie in London anymore because like, of the way the city is laid out. Mm-hmm. And he said it was even hard to do back then. And like the Italian job is like a very rare example of that. When you hear, and so like Paradise by the Dashboard Light, which you mentioned, is a song that very explicitly connects the, uh, the idea of a car as a, something that will take you to a destination uh, for a romantic getaway. Um, and then like you hear it in Springsteen songs as well. You hear it going back to so you're, the Beach Boys constantly did this. It's, I'm mm-hmm. it's such an omnipresent trope in American culture. And then films like American Graffiti solidified that image even more. I'm saying I wonder if this is sort of her British interpretation of that American idiom. But mm. since, since that culture doesn't exist the same way in the UK, she's just taking the parts of it that are associated with romance and then being interested in the mechanical components of the car and not just because the song is not, it's not a sex song. It's not like, it's not like grace. Do you know the pull up the bumper by grace Jones? I've heard of that. I've heard of that one. Oh, yeah. oh listen to that one. That is, <laughs> <laughs> it's maybe the filthiest song ever written. And then you look at the Wikipedia article and grace Jones denies there is a sexual component to this song. But, um, <laughs> keep that in mind before you listen to it. I want I don't know if you can legally get away with a little sample of that in here, but that's, that's I probably the kind of song. can. If as long yeah. as it's like I think if it's like less than a minute and you're doing it for like mm. critiquing purposes, you're right, fine. Right. And I've yet to have her people come knocking on my door going, Hey, excuse me. <laughs> Fortunately. That's the thing. Um because I, I think of Grace Jones in a similar way. So I think of Kate mm. Bush as somebody who just exists outside. I think I I to me, like Kate the reason I got into Kate Bush was because I'd gotten into 
we, we can talk about this later because I don't I don't think the song is so substantial. I just really wanted to defend it because mm-hmm. um, I knew you weren't too crazy about it. Yeah. And um, <laughs> and I actually like it more than Full House, the one you mentioned, um, ah. which I do skip and um, or in the warm room or Oh England, My Lionheart. I think this album's full of songs that are kind of thin gruel to me. Um, and of course, uh, there's nothing terrible on there. I don't think we'd get a terrible Kate song until Experiment 4, which I do hate. And I might come on here just to talk about why I hate it. But mm. um, <laughs> And actually, I feel that way about Ken. Oh, that's not good either. <laughs> I don't like Ken. It's like, I get that you were doing this like as a tongue-in-cheek thing, but girl, no, I don't like your screaming. Ah, no. no, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me um I will say, like, we'll t- I'll talk a bit about my history with Kate and what yeah, I love definitely. her. But, like, uh, to be about with, I think I think it's interesting that when someone outside the U.S. wants to do a sort of love car song, um, like obviously Gary Newman's Cars was around mm. the same time. I think maybe even the same year or the next mm. one, and that is very much um, about driving in terms of destination, and that yeah, and that and comes isolation. out of and then. Right, and Bowie's always crashing in the same car, and then of course Kraftwerk's Audubon. technology and our disassociation from them and they also are maybe about the human body as a series of mechanical parts um kate is interested in the human body as a series of emotional parts mm-hmm. she knows that the heart isn't really the mechanism that provides love but in this song it it very much is and it's i do find it weird i i'm sure she might strain and contradict the metaphor by referring to the heart car crash and then saying, don't push your foot on the heart brake because the brakes are what's going to potentially stop the crash. And I'm not sure what she means by that. I think she just found a pun she liked. I think what she means is um, <laughs> like, don't, uh, don't, don't speed uh, it up. Speed it up. Yeah. Don't try and look, maybe kind of like work your way through the pain and instead mm-hmm. or something like that. read it's interesting i've actually read several interpretations of this song like i read an interpretation where somebody thinks that this is about literally oding on drugs 
you get a lot. If it was that in song meetings, you get that on like every yeah. interpreter. I yeah. think it <laughs> might have been song meetings. I mean, there are a lot of songs about drugs, but there are. I don't There's think like... that this is one of them. Somebody else says that. Oh, I think this is a coming of age story, like because the dropping hmm. beads, red red glasses, bleeding is supposed to be menstruation. I don't really think so. I just think that it's somebody who's gotten her heart broken and she's just trying to keep blood. it together. That's that's the blood of the heart is the way I see yeah, it. Yeah, that's me me too. Uh, like your bleeding heart, you're you're just like yeah. you're you're really hurting. And so I think it's just about somebody who's gotten her heart broken and she's trying to keep it together. And who the hell Georgie is, I don't know. Who do you think Georgie is? <laughs> Georgie? Um, yeah. Georgie's the boy. Well, okay, let's look at the lyric what it refers to Georgie. I yeah. listen to this a lot, but I, her lyrics are often hard to comprehend. Oh, I probably yeah. should have had the lyrics written. I probably <laughs> should have had them written out in front of me. I just did a Google search. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Georgie, I only have this on a CD that doesn't have the, uh, it doesn't even have, I didn't, it was like a used CD that didn't even have the original, um, uh, what do you call it, the liner notes, so I don't even mm-hmm. have the cover, or if there are lyrics with the CD, they're not there. I do have a lot of her albums on vinyl, but this is not one of them. But it does have a great cover, so maybe I'll just get it for that. Yeah, so the the verse with Georgie is... She's losing that inner flame. It was burning bright, but she's losing the light fast. She's only herself to blame. Well, take care of yourself and remember Georgie. But she's so OD'd on weeping, she can hardly see that she's dropping beads. Red, red glasses bleeding. Oh, remember Georgie. Um, yeah. Who is Georgie? Oh, God. Georgie girl in the song by, <laughs> I don't know. Um, or maybe like Georgie Porgy maybe putting it is George. high. Kiss the Georgie Porgy putting in That could be one of them. I think... I wouldn't be surprised if she's a big fan of the movie Georgie Girl, and um, which is a lovely. Have you seen the movie? Oh, you can. See, oh no, I've never seen the movie. Georgie Girl. It is uh, with uh, Lynn Redgrave, and I think Charlotte was it Charlotte Rampling and uh, James Mason. Um, it might be Helen Mirren instead of Charlotte Rampling. I have a bad habit of confusing the two of them, and I apologize. But um, it's it's a great like British working class romance film and i'm sure you've heard the theme song by the seekers hey there georgie girl swinging down the street so fancy free nobody you meet could ever see the loneliness there inside you hey there georgie girl why do all the boys just pass you by could it be you just don't but it's right, Georgie. Georgie Porgy Pudding Pie. There's also, um, sorry, that also <laughs> reminds me of George Carlin's routine where he's uh, talking about like how everybody has a name that gets made fun of. Even if it's, if it's a name nobody's heard of, they'll make fun of it for that. And if your name is as common as George, well, then people come up to you and say, Georgie Porgy Pudding and Pie. <laughs> Kiss the girls and made them cry. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so I think Oh God! Uh, do you do you have on your page anything about her talking about a Georgie? I feel like there might be something. She, no, my I, brain is leaping. 
I have not found anything about who Georgie is. So actually, listeners, if you have your thoughts on who this wonderful Georgie is that she needs to remember, please let me know. <laughs> is Georgie a character in another Jane Austen book I'm forgetting? If so, that would be a wonderful synchronicity here. If there's a if there's something where there's characters named Emma and Georgie that she's referring to. I think there um, might be a George in in Emma. Might be a was there? It's Emma. been a long time since I've read it. Um, I'm more familiar, more familiar with Clueless than Emma. And I, um, <laughs> you mean the remake of Emma? <laughs> it's better than the one with Gwyneth Paltrow, and gets the spirit of the book better. Mm. <laughs> I'm well, actually. Well, there was a George Knightley as a neighbor and close mm. friend of Emma, aged yeah. 37 years. He's her only critic. Oh. Mr. Knightley is the owner of the estate yeah, of yeah. Donwell Abbey. I remember him, but I don't think he's not a romantic interest. So that's not. Mm-mm. Yeah. Yeah. He's that's furious with Emma about. for persuading Harriet to turn down Mr. Martin. Yeah. It's it's probably that's, not. not I, I remember. I remember that character. <laughs> that would be. <laughs> just, if we if we cracked this code, wouldn't that be amazing? That if, would like, be cool. Somebody, if somebody comes out. Um, it's like, hey, I know who the Georgie is. <laughs> No, if there's a yeah, Georgie and Emma, that's who we're gonna figure out. Exactly. So Maybe this is just a. If you know who Georgie is, let us know. Because we'd also love like to think, know. Maybe this is just a very personal thing to her. Maybe there are people she knows, or these, or maybe the whole point of remember Georgie is that it's something that only makes sense of this character. Remember mm. somebody else. Remember somebody else who was hurt in heartbreak. Somebody who let it destroy them. Yeah, and so she's like, "Hey, remember what happened to them? Don't let this destroy you. You gotta keep." Or maybe, or maybe Georgie is somebody else in her life who she has to be there for. And if you destroy yourself, you won't be there for your real friend or lover. True. Or family member. Maybe Georgie's her sister. Um, it could be. This is what this is often what happens. This is the kind of thing you get in with lyricists who are a lot more personal than Kate usually. Mm-hmm. Where you can puzzle all day with like specific references in a song by I don't know who's who's somebody who does Elliot Smith maybe um oh, who Tori. would often refer Tori yeah who would often refer very obliquely to personal yeah like if you didn't know like for example like for example like um, the line hanging out if you need Neil he'll be hanging out with the Dream King and here in your hand would be incomprehensible mm-hmm. if you didn't know the Sandman or that she had a personal relationship with Neil Gaiman which is actually how I got into that song in the first place. Uh, but, <laughs> but yeah, but like, I just, I think these are just interesting, like cleverly written lyrics. So I, and I appreciate that she was doing like a lot with wordplay. I, cause I, I'm really drawn to lyrics and especially when they have wordplay in them. I, yeah, I understand. That's interesting to me because you are a musician yourself. I would think mm-hmm. you'd be more interested in the structure and composition, which is what I love about this song. I love, I love the key changes and I love the rapid, uh, the rapid, um, what sort of the rapid tempo shifts that mm-hmm. seem to express the feeling of trying to, of trying to run your way through this heartbreak, but finding it impossible. Mm-hmm. And um, I think she's, she's inside her car and, and imagining herself as the car and imagining what if I could just crash this and end it all. Mm-hmm. But then this is the voice telling her not to do that. Um, so she might be. So this is one, a song you also didn't like, but I like more than you. Uh, Room for the life uses the second person mm. uh, singing, and I think she's switching into second person there while she talks in the third. Um, while the song is about the third person, um, and Room for the life. That's a song where she's providing like advice for someone else. Mm. 
saying yeah. you listened here. And I think she might be doing a little of that as well, um, which is something a lot of great singer songwriters will do is they'll make you feel like you're they're speaking to you. And by being so specific with this Georgie reference, even if you don't get it, it feels like she's talking to a friend and you can take that and extrapolate it into your own life. And if you've gone through a terrible breakup or something, anything that's happened to you, then you can relate to it. And that's that's why specificity is more interesting to me than broadness sometimes. Although I do like a lot of broadness if it's done interestingly. Is there anything else you want to say about this song? I think that it's pretty easy to decipher apart yeah, from Georgie. It, it is. <laughs> Georgie. Yeah, other than the Georgie part, like wherever Georgie is, yo, uh, honestly, yeah, this is, you know, somebody just trying to make their way through a bad heartbreak and it's turning oh, out really bad for them. And part of what I like about Kate is that, like, and I know not, actually in this song, she talks about Red Red on the Parquet, which is a which is something I've only ever heard her and Pet Shop Boys mm-hmm. sing about. In, the parquet. Um, because in um, Kneeling on the Parquet, whatever yeah. has gone wrong from a, this, this must be the place I waited years to leave. Well, part, yeah, there's obviously Parquet Courts, which is a great band, but... Um, mm-hmm. That's just you know, just uh, a reference to the floor. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 yeah. Okay, so I do I do like those. Um, I do like as an American Anglophile. One of the things I always loved was hearing Britishisms just sneak in mm-hmm. um, in ways that would just become. And I and I do wonder how much, considering how much American culture is consumed around the world, I do wonder. It always seems to be different when I talk to people um, from around the world whether that stuff just reads as like default or whether it reads as specifically American. So this, this this feels like a very British song to me and possibly mm-hmm. a British interpretation of, like I said, American songs mm-hmm. about cars because European songs about cars tend to be much more technical, um, much more... Um, I'm trying to think, are there any, like, what are other, some other like British songs about... Oh, okay, well, there's Drive My Car by the Beatles. That's a goofy, fun song. Um <laughs> I mean, if you can baby, think of you can drive, baby, you can drive my yeah. car, and maybe that's, I love that's you. That's that's the one. That's 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 the song I just mentioned okay. for the Beatles. <laughs> that is the uh, yeah, you're right. Car. Like, yeah. and then I I thought like you mentioned uh, Gary Newman cars because that's all about yeah. the isolation of people that you can kind of be in your own little world, which was itself inspired by Bowie's always crashing in the same car. But it's true. Like we um, do kind of have an obsession with cars in America, like this. I guess maybe it comes from the 50s and like, oh, yeah, the whole car culture and you can take your car to go to the drive-in theater and go to all these places. And you kind of need a car to get around most places in the U.S. because we don't have public transportation the way that I experienced it. Well, at least the way I experienced it, (laughs) like in France and and where I am, like Mm -hmm. there we don't have... I have to go up to D.C. in order to take the metro anywhere, which is really oh boy. I miss uh, a, I miss riding a subway. I really do. Yeah, you guys yeah. are lucky out there in San Francisco. Yeah, well, you <laughs> complain about it, but then and then and they go to New York and they can, their subway system has gone to hell. But still, they have one. Um, yeah. And then I'm not even going to start uh, grumbling about the history of Los Angeles is dismantling of public transit, but mm-hmm. that's a different story. Um, yeah. <laughs> and of course, in, like, and of course, public transit is very well established in England. The London Underground is probably one of the most famous public transit systems in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but for somebody living, she was living, but for somebody growing up in the countryside, 
cars probably did mean something different to her. She grew up in what Bexley Heath. Yes, she grew up in a suburb yeah. of London. Right or Kent, I think she's a part of Kent. Yeah, I just I just think that when she, I think she's the kind of person who looks at a car and then just personifies it, mm-hmm. and then sees the the equivalent parts there. But unlike Gary Newman, who's thinking about it in an isolated technical way, um, and sees the parts, or even oh God, I just thought of a great great one, uh, Warm Leatherette by The Normal, oh, which is itself mm-hmm. which is itself inspired by. Um, Crash by J.G. Ballard, the amazing, amazing book, which is also an incredible movie. Um, that just very equivalently thinks of human bodies as destro- like things that can be destroyed the same way a car can. And about sex as the opposite of this, or not quite the opposite, but on the same level as the sweet release of death. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a just, I, it's a, I heard, it's a great song. This, but this isn't doing that. It's a very sweet and silly song. Mm. But I think Kate even takes those silly things seriously, and that's why I love her. This is a fun song. I did you okay, so that's the other question. Let's talk about the live versions and covers if they exist. I have not found any cover versions. In fact, yeah. I I'm not sure how anybody could Kate, but Kate could do the song because this is a very Kate song. So you disagree? So you do disagree? You don't think somebody could? I think somebody could if they changed I mean, all of like if they, the if, compositional elements. Yeah, if somebody changed the compositional stuff, they could. I don't. I'm kind of torn because on the one hand, like somebody changing the song would essentially it would make it not Kate. Mm-hmm. But then on the other hand, like if they kept it the way it was they couldn't do it i don't think they could do it no because this song requires a wide vocal range i mean even just like emma's come down like she's like up here yeah. emma's come down do, 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 do you do, think do, she have in the live version is she able to like do that as quickly i think that it is amazing i think that in the live version that kate was even able to hit some of those notes and yeah. sing it in dance at the same time is quite remarkable. Cause I know that like, um, you've seen, have you seen the fifth element? Yes. You know, the diva song mm-hmm. had to be edited together from multiple takes because the vocalist just simply could not switch hit her the, voice that yeah. fast. Hit the, yeah. Somebody on YouTube managed to do it though. And it's incredible. If, um, I rec I'll send that to you if you can't, if you haven't seen it. Cool. Um, but yeah, it's I mean, because really... they, they go like it's it's coloratura, so they're staying like way up there above high C and everything. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, it's I, insane. Um, I think it that in, be, it has... in this song and in this song, like she even goes. I'm pretty sure that Kate goes above high C <laughs> when she's in the backing vocals for "She's Losing, She's Losing, She's Losing." Yeah. I'm pretty sure that she's going up to like D, which is D one tone above high soprano high C. Yeah, that's um as somebody who isn't musically inclined the same way at all, I that's that's bonkers. Um Yeah, I think she's oh, going like cool. oh, nice. Or something like <laughs> something like that. I mean, there is, I, I will say, I, I like the live performance of this that she did for mm-hmm. 
the tour of life and then for her Christmas special. I mean, basically the Christmas special was the same routine she did for the tour of life. Where it kind of looks like something out of West Side Story almost. Oh, interesting. It makes, yeah, it makes me think of something like West Side Story, I think because of the way she's dressed. I told you there was a Broadway thing going on here. Well, her whole show was yeah. really theatrical yeah. anyway. And I'm saying this song in particular feels oh. like it could be part of like a either a Broadway review or part of a one woman show. And do we know do we know if she has a lot of I feel like Stephen Sondheim might be a major influence on her. was performed as the last song of the second act of the tour of life and like most of the show it was very theatrical in kate's appearance on this song she is dressed in a leather jacket that i had said kind of reminds me of west side story but in watching it again makes me think more grease um, specifically the ending scene where the olivia newton john character sandy has decided to be a tough girl so that she can get the attention of Danny, the John Travolta character that she's been trying to get the attention of and keep him for the entire movie. Um, what the connection Kate saw between Greece and this song, I'm not quite sure, but it's really cool to watch. It's a very theatrical appearance, which is interesting for somebody who said that she wrote this because she wanted to try writing a Patti Smith song. And when I think Patti Smith, I don't necessarily think theatrical like this, but okay. <laughs> but that's probably the best known appearance of this song. She also performed it actually the first time on the Leo Sayer show on November 7th, 1978, right before Lionheart was released. She performed the song on a stage that was strewn with traffic cones and emergency lights you know, fitting the metaphor of the song. She didn't sing that live. It was her lip syncing. Um, so, and you can find that, that appearance on YouTube. The last time she performed this song was on the Kate Bush Christmas special, where it was the last song of the show. It was performed with an extended intro in October 1979. It was filmed in Birmingham Studios, but then shown two months later in December of 79. And the routine is very much like the Tour of Life version. She has an elaborate stage set with roadblocks and fences. And she's wandering around like she's in the middle of a Broadway musical. Um, she's dressed in a leather jacket, 
when her dancers are dressed like her and it's it's very much like the version from the tour of life and um reminds me like i said reminds me a lot of greece now that i'm i kind of watch it again like but either way it's very theatrical and it is very very kate and you can take a listen here is the version from the craig bush christmas special to discuss the work of an artist in their entirety i like that it, it lets you uh, do a more in-depth discussion of these odds and ends tracks mm-hmm. that um, would never make a greatest hits record um although i agree with that kids in the hall uh, sketch and think greatest hits records are for idiots um <laughs> but um i think And it would never be a major, it was never a major single. It would mm-hmm. never, um, you'd never hear it randomly on the radio. Um, if you were here, if you were to hear her songs at all on the radio in the U.S., which is definitely unlikely when I was growing up and listening to her. The only one of her songs I ever heard on the radio was Running Up That Hill, like twice. I think there's, I think there's value in exploring uh, the album tracks in the way that, and of course, like there's certain artists, like, of course, the Beatles where volumes have been written about their entire career to the point where there's people discussing even the minutia of tracks like honey don't and gigantic mm. tomes on them and that may be part of our human tendency to overanalyze every aspect of life but i think it's great to catalog that and to explore that even when even when looking at a quote-unquote minor track like don't push your foot on the heartbreak everything that i love or most things that i love about kate bush are still there that this is a song that 
almost but not quite be by anyone. Mm-hmm. She puts her own personal spin on on it, and um, I just may have, okay, okay. Let me explain the contradiction there. That even when she's doing a song that could be that should be almost by anyone, it's still a very Kate song at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Somebody else could cover this and make it their own pretty easily compared to a lot of her other songs. I think if you if you got rid of a lot of the the key changes and the tempos. Do you think so? I think so. If you got rid and of I, like the, the some of the tempo changes mm-hmm. and it def, like the, the key changes and made it a little bit, I guess, a little bit simpler, I could see somebody doing that. But you're right. It is a very Kate song. It goes all over the place with her vocal range. She is using her voice to convey massive heartbreak and, and she's making you feel it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's another song of hers. Which, <laughs> hey, I, 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 that was totally like, I, as soon as I said that, I went, oh, hey, it's not preferential. But it is something that definitely, like, it, it is a very Kate song. And that's what I like. Even in, like, that she can't, even when she wants to write, like, a simple uh, breakup, even when she wants to write a seemingly simple breakup song, she can't do it without screaming her heart out. <laughs> it's adorable. And what's funny. And this, you know what? Oh, sorry, sorry, go on. oh, no, sorry, you go. <laughs> uh, this really reminds me of uh, Bjork, actually. Hmm. Um, the way she'll, the way she starts, like, screaming. Um, and particularly, like, the, are, are you, you're a Bjork fan, yes? I am familiar with some of her songs, yes. Oh, you are. I feel like I need to know more. <laughs> oh, God, I should start a Bjork podcast and then invite you on and then... <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I think I, I feel like you would love her. She's the she's so good. But um like in terms of just if you're looking for any other female singer songwriter with that same level of intensity and commitment and um artist artistic oddness. So yeah, this is this is just this is all I just have a soft spot for maybe because I identify with the emotions at the core of it. And I get it for somebody who might who is because I thought I was obsessed. Now you're really obsessed. <laughs> I mean that well, in a good am, way. Well, yeah, I am going through every single song. Might as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I understand that from an I'm going to brute force go through her entire catalog. This one might seem kind of thin compared to other tracks in this album alone. Like, wow, which is almost like a novel oh, in terms of the characterization going on or or something like In Search of Peter Pan, which has a very obvious literary antecedent, or something like Hammer Horror, which is an absolute blast of a spook show song, mm-hmm. and another cinematic treat. Or Kashka from Baghdad, where you can talk about the sexual uh, role-playing and mm-hmm. sympathy, or or the glorious murder mystery of Coffee Home Ground, which mm-hmm. I really wanted to do and was bumped somebody else did. Um, but... Oh, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> and if there is a short story or any kind of work of literature that inspired this uh, for Georgie and Emma or um, the great romantic character, even if this was a British soap opera, were the characters on Coronation Street? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Just, uh, okay, so I think um, I think we're pretty good now. Um, I think so. And I like any, the live any, version. I, the live version is very theatrical. Any, totally any final thoughts? Song. Well, final thoughts on this song. I am going to take in another listen. Thanks for talking to you. 
Okay, I defended it thoroughly. <laughs> I think you defended it. Time. Yes. You defended All right. Yes. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. You could. Oh. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Um. Yeah. I'm pretty. I think you're good. It was really nice talking to you, Cecily. Yeah, it was great to talk to you too. Yeah. And thank um, you so much for for being on my, on this episode of my show. I hope. Yeah. I um. Yeah. It's cool. Cool. I'm glad, I'm glad somebody got to defend this song's honor. favorite Kate Bush song or even a couple of songs that you would love to chat about on a future episode, feel free to email me kbcast at linkmedia.com. You can also tweet at me at strangekatecast and like my Facebook page. We like Facebook likes facebook.com slash Kate Bush podcast. We want to hear from you. Also, Feel free to message me if there's something about this week's song that we didn't get to. I'm going to do a retrospective at the end of the season with maybe things we missed. Put that all together in an episode for you guys to listen to. Also, please leave us a review on iTunes. We want people to be able to find this, especially other Kate fans. Thank you guys so much and see you next week for Oh England, My Lionheart. Well, I was talking to somebody else, and she she said, you know, there's no way you can parody Kate Bush, because she's just, she's already over the top. <laughs> it's true, although who was, oh God, what, was it Was it uh, not the 9 o'clock news that had that parody of her from the late 70s? It was, uh, she, it was not the 9 o'clock news. Yeah, oh, that's my fun. That a, that's a very funny one. Um. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think she is hard to parody because there is there is the point where you wonder if even she realized. I get the sense that she that she would be kind of upset if you would laugh at these lyrics because I think they're funny. Um, but then she might come around to it. She doesn't. Do you think she tries to be funny? That's another question I have. In this song, I don't think necessarily, but I think in yeah. other songs that she she definitely has maybe more of a dry sense of humor about her that. Maybe wouldn't be her, like immediately ha 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 to Americans, but because I've, you know. I've often seen reviews complaining she's humorless or self serious, but I don't think that's the case. I think I'm trying to think. I think Kasia from Baghdad is funny. Um, that's a very funny song. But um, no, sorry, I meant oh, Coffee on Ground, the one I was just talking about. Oh yeah, Coffee that's on the funny Ground, one. definitely. Yeah. Coffee on Ground is a very funny song. It says, um, I think the wedding list is. Fun. I think she's funny when she talks about really dark stuff mm. sometimes. But that comes from, um, I think, her background having grown yeah. up like listening yeah. to dark folk songs. Mm-hmm. And so that well, just kick, the, seeps into her work. The kick inside's not funny, but yeah, I think... I don't I think there's any more like overtly comedic songs. I feel like there is. There, or there are. Um, I mean, there's the aforementioned Ken, but... Oh, uh, that's, yeah. That's that's a failed experiment. <laughs> yeah, that's gonna be interesting when I get to that song. Cause oh god, <laughs> I might have to yeah. <laughs> find somebody who actually likes it if they exist. Uh, they will come on my show and go, okay, tell me why this is an awesome song because <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> 
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.